it's honestly just wanting the best for the spirits industry and the spirits world that just gets me gets me through the day and it makes you know yes I have a hectic schedule and I have a lot that I do from five o'clock in the morning until you know nine o'clock at night but it doesn't feel like work because I can't imagine being in any other industry. From the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine, this is the Craft Spirits Podcast. I'm John Page, and today on the program, we're down in the land of the Delta Blues. Our guest today is Alex Castle, Senior Vice President and Master Distiller at Old Dominic Distillery in Memphis, Tennessee. She was the state's first female head distiller, and last year she was elected as president of the Tennessee Distillers Guild. She also serves on the Craft Advisory Council for the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States and is on the board for the Spirit Hub Independent Distillery Preservation Fund. In a conversation via Zoom in early February, we discussed Old Dominic and its product line and talked about Alex's path to distilling, which took root when she was in high school. But first, I asked her which of her titles and accolades means the most to her and why. I'm definitely, um, I'm very proud of Senior Vice President for Old Dominic because that was never, never on my radar. I, I thought Master Distiller is, is where I want it to be. And that was, that was the highest up the corporate ladder I would ever climb. Um, and so for me, it was an honor that my owner actually thought that I was capable and the right person to step up into an executive leadership role. Uh, but I'm also very, very proud of the Craft Advisory Council for Discus because I was elected by my peers from across the country. Um, and I have nothing but respect for anyone in this industry. And so for them to elect me to that role, it means a lot to me as well. Uh, so, so let's talk some more about some of those other, you know, groups and, and initiatives. Um, what are you, I guess, starting at the the state guild? What are you most excited to to work on? What are you most passionate about when it comes to that? Um, for the the Tennessee guild, uh, right now, I'm just excited that we might finally all get to be open again. Um, and really promote uh, the Tennessee Whiskey Trail. That's one of our biggest initiatives as a guild. Um, and that started in 2017 and we're hoping to grow it by a couple distilleries this year. Um, and so just to be able to, to really open that trail back up um, this year after, after the pandemic and everything, I'm just excited for our distillers to, to be able to welcome people. Um, Unfortunately, I'm, I'm also just very proud that we have over 20 members of the guild um, and over 20 distilleries on the trail and no one had to close their doors. Everyone is still in business after uh, the insanity of the pandemic. Um, so we've all survived and I'm just, I'm so proud that everyone was able to do that. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to helping everyone by by growing the trail and making you know people aware of the trail and helping them out, and then on the, the you know on the back side of that too is we've got some legislative um, endeavors that we're we're starting to look at, uh, may not necessarily pursue in 2021 um, because there's there's some big asks, and so we we want to make sure we're prepared, um, but to at least start the process of looking into those things. 
I, I know a lot of those trails, they have some kind of, you know, passport, you get so many stamps, you get something. How, do, how does, do you all have anything like that? What's, what's that? We do. Um, so every distillery is equipped with the, the paper passports, but we also very much encourage people to download our app and do the, the passport that way. Um, it's a little more green that way. Um, but we also, I guess it was about December 2020, we started kind of a new reward program for people on the trail. So all distilleries have their own poker chips. They're all branded. Everyone got to pick their colors. And so when you go and get a stamp in your passport, you also get to walk away with a custom poker chip. And once you finish the trail, you, of course, have the full set from the distilleries, but you also get to turn in your passport for an entire complete Tennessee whiskey trail branded poker set as well. Um, so that's kind of a new initiative we just started. So anyone that's looking to do the trail in 2021, you can get a poker set. That's awesome. I, I, I love those, those types of incentives. That's awesome. We decided a t-shirt wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> That seems that seems to be the case. There's there's uh, we did a story on that a while back, and there's just a lot of creativity around around the country from, from the state level, like regional level, even down to the city level. Sometimes, so it's it's cool yeah. to those stories. Um, and then let's let's talk just a little bit about that uh, the Spirit Hub Independent Distillery Preservation Fund. Uh, tell people about that. Yeah, so the it's the longest name ever. So the Spirit, <laughs> the fund, we'll call it the fund, okay. um, was founded by Spirit Hub uh, the second half of 2020 in response to the pandemic, um, in the hopes of being able to to assist craft distilleries across the country. We've been hit hard. It's been a tough time, um, and for Spirit Hub, their you know their livelihood is is craft distilleries, and so they want us to stick around. Um, and so as part of the board, um, I'm helping set up all of the expectations for what that fund looks like, where we're trying to raise funds right now. Um, so we're reaching out to various, you know, vendors associated with the industry. So like packaging people and whatnot, just trying to get the fund there. And then I believe it's about April, we'll probably start looking at applications. And so distilleries across the country who need assistance, whether it's, you know, payroll assistance because of the pandemic or even help with growth, they need to replace a fermenter or something. That's what this fund is about. Um, and so we'll every, you know, quarter, every month, we're still finalizing the, the frequency, but we'll be able to reward those funds um, to distilleries in need. That's great. Um... So that, that's that's a lot of things on your plate, um, and and I, I saw a day in the life article about you somewhere out there online, and it seems like you have just crazy busy days that start way too early for for my concept of when the day should start. So I'm I'm kind of curious to hear in, in your own words, like what's what is it that's driving you? What's motivating you, and and how do you manage all of these responsibilities? So I used to think that my passion was strictly distilling and that's what got me into this industry. And in the last, call it year and a half, I've realized it's not distilling, it's actually just the industry as a whole that I absolutely love um, and am passionate about. And I want this industry to just explode. I want it to succeed and I want it to always be around. Um, 
and so it's it's honestly just wanting the best for the spirits industry and the spirits world that just gets me gets me through the day and it makes you know yes i have a hectic schedule and i have a lot that i do from five o'clock in the morning until you know nine o'clock at night but it doesn't feel like work because I, I can't imagine being in any other industry. And, and so I, I feel like that's kind of a good segue into your, your distillery origin story, which is, uh, you're sorry, your distilling origin story, because yours is a lot earlier than most. Uh, it, it's, it goes back to high school, right? So for, for, those, for those that don't know, kind of, fill in the gap there and, and tell us about uh, when you decided you wanted to be a distiller. Yeah, so for, for several years when I was younger, I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist. I loved all things marine life. And then I got to high school and took biology and realized it was awful. And there was no way I could do that for however many years in college. And so at the age of 14, 15, I kind of had a midlife crisis that I, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I'm very type A, so yeah. not knowing what I'm going to do with my life is not good. And so found chemistry, found physics, found calculus, and loved all of it. And so I was talking to my mom. I love all these things. What can I do with it? And she said, you can major in chemical engineering. Okay, that sounds like it, it encompasses everything, but what do I do with it? I, I can't be a teacher. I'm not, I don't have the mentality or patience to be a teacher full time. And I guess she'd been reading some articles or something because she said, you can, first one's out of her mouth. You can be a brewmaster and make beer, or you can be a master distiller and make bourbon. And I thought, well, that sounds fantastic. Let's do this. And so 15 years old, that's what I decided to do. Um, and so even when I got into college, hadn't decided between beer or spirits and was fortunate enough to do a co-op with Alltech in Lexington, Kentucky. And at the time, they just had the brewery. They only made Kentucky Ale. They did not have Town Branch Bourbon at the time. Um, and so I got exposed to the brewery world and I loved it. It was fun, um, but I happened to be there when the two pot stills got delivered from Scotland and uh, got the opportunity to first clean them. That was uh, as the cheap labor. I was, the, I was the cleaner of the copper sure. um, for a couple months and then finally got the privilege to actually run the stills. Um, and it, that was it for me. The first day I ran them, I, I don't think I stopped smiling once the entire day. And I realized that brewing just wasn't going to be enough for me. I needed, I needed that one extra step. I needed distillation. Gotcha. And when you were, you know, when you're 14, 15 years old and people ask you, well, what are you, what are you going to be when you grow up and you say brewer, distiller, you know, what, what did people say at that time to you? How did I mean, my, react? my chemistry teacher uh, thought it was the coolest thing ever, but he was also Irish. So okay. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> no, honestly, I, most people thought it was really cool. I don't know if they thought I was being serious. You know, they probably thought I was just saying something, you know, when kids say I'm going to be a movie star someday and people don't really think you're ever going to do that. It's probably what really people thought when I told them that, um, but, you know, most people, you know, thought it was cool. And then I got to college and 
my first chemical engineering professor, I'll never forget, we had to write a one page essay on why we chose chemical engineering. So I wrote about brewing and distilling and I could tell my professor didn't take it very seriously. He thought it was mm. stupid. So, so I definitely faced that, but I just kind of ignored that professor and, and moved on because everyone else was very encouraging. So you, so you basically, you never wavered in that like 14, 15 year old decision. That was, that I was never it. Cool. Did. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. I uh, wavered a couple times on the chemical engineering part. <laughs> <laughs> a couple times in, in college, I was like, oh, this, this may have been the wrong decision, but the end game never changed. Gotcha. And, and so then after that uh, Alltech co-op, uh, you made detergent. I did. <laughs> yeah, graduating in 2010, um, still recovering from the recession of, of 2008, a little bit. So it was kind of hard to get a job um, for me and my classmates. And while the industry, um, the distilling industry was was growing, there were a ton of distilleries popping up in 2010. Most of them were still at their starting point. So they were still so small that they couldn't hire anyone else. So I sent out 70 to 80 resumes my, my last semester of college, all to distilleries. And what few responses I got were all negative. <laughs> um, and so I just had to take the only job offered and that was with a detergent company in um, Western Kentucky. And I, you know, it, it, it paid the bills and gave me an experience. Um, you know, it could have been worse. Yeah. What, uh, something else I meant to ask is, you know, having made that decision so early on of a career choice, um, you know, such a big part of being a brewer or a distiller is developing your palate. So how, how and when did you actually start thinking about that? So that I started um, pretty much at 21. Um, I think it was that summer, it was the summer after I turned 21, my mom and I decided to do the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. And kind of an extension of that, you know, I told my mom, I was like, I've, I've got to try all these, these whiskeys. Yeah. And so we literally went to a liquor store and bought all the 50 mLs that we could find. Because um, it was a lot cheaper than buying, you know, full 750s. Yeah. And I, I literally would just sit in my apartment and sample, sample different whiskeys. Um, so that's kind of where I started, just because I had, I had no one else that I could, could go to to help me with that. Um, and then was fortunate when I finally got to Wild Turkey after the detergent company um, that they actually were doing an expert sensory panel. And so by going through the training and qualification for that, I was given a lot of training, a lot of exposure to sensory analysis and, and working to develop my palate. And to this day, I'm still working on it, um, still trying to, to discover new flavors and even just trying to be able to identify yeah. certain flavors that you always pick up, but you don't really know what it is. After a break, Alex talks about making the leap to a startup. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more. 
It's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. Although Alex is now extremely passionate about craft distilling, she initially envisioned herself at a larger corporation. I actually always pictured one of the bigger distilleries. Being from Kentucky, that's that's what whiskey, that's what distilling was to me, were the big boys. Um, and even when I was still thinking about beer, I was thinking about the big boys. I interviewed with Anheuser-Busch because I thought that that was, you know, the ultimate as far as brewing was concerned. And so when I worked at Wild Turkey, I... I thought I had landed the dream job for me. Um, granted, I was just a supervisor, but I, I really thought I was where I wanted to be and I would be there for most of my career. Um, I really had no no ambitions of, of helping do a startup of any kind. Um, and that just kind of came out of, out of left field for me. Um, I'm thankful for it, but no, I, I always set out to be with, with one of the big Kentucky distilleries. So a, a supervisor then, so not actually distilling was, you know, what was that like? So um, Wild Turkey is a union distillery. It's, so most of the labor is union um, and supervisors and up are non-union. And so you really aren't even allowed to push a broom, let alone turn a valve of any kind. Um, and so for the most part, I was just overseeing production as a whole. Um, I was in the actual distillery production area. So it was grain handling all the way through distillation product, um, distillate production, and then also the dryer house. So I oversaw all of those processes and managed the yeast. Um, but I also got to every day taste the distillate as well um, and learned how to monitor that quality for consistency. Um, so I was, I was exposed to, to that stuff as well. And also product development. The product development lab was right across the hallway from my office. And so I got pulled into uh, taste tests for uh, Sky Vodka because the parent company owned Sky Vodka. So I got to, and you know, flavored vodkas, I was a 20 something year old woman. I'm the target audience. Um, target consumer. So right. they, they very much pulled me into those because I'm the one that they wanted to sell to. Yeah. And so I was able to get exposed to multiple different areas, even just as a supervisor. And so then when uh, Chris Canale and Alex Canale uh, are, are looking to start up Old Dominic Distillery and, and they come along, uh, I, I think uh, Chris told me, I talked to him last week, that a lot of people want to be a distiller, but not in Memphis. You're from Kentucky. Uh, how did they win you over on Memphis and, and also, you know, going from wild turkey to, to a startup? Um, so Memphis definitely was not, my, not on the radar, um, but 
it was one of those things. I got a message on LinkedIn. That's how I was approached about the job. It was just a, a direct message on LinkedIn from their consultant that they were using at the time and decided why not take a chance. And so my first time in Memphis was an interview and they did it upright. They uh, ended up timing it with the international barbecue competition that happens in May every year. So they took me first night in Memphis, got to go experience that, which if you've ever seen it, that is, I mean, and you, triple. You, you broke up there for a second, the international oh, barbecue competition. Oh, you're good. Yeah, international okay. barbecue competition that happens every May as Memphis in May. And it's this huge event. People do three-story tents. I mean, it's it's massive. So that's my first exposure to Memphis is going down by the river and experiencing that. Um, and, I, and then I think Chris also mentioned that the Grizzlies were in the playoffs. They were, yeah. It was, they <laughs> they did it up right that weekend because they took me to the festival and then gave um, my husband went with me, and so we had um, tickets for a suite. To, oh, wow. I believe it was, was it game four of the playoffs against, I want to say it was Golden State. Mm. And so it was, you know, a big game. Um, so we got to experience the Grizzlies at a great time. Um, so, you know, just got to see Memphis at its best for the first time. Um, and in, in, in May, it's so easy to fall in love with this city because of all the festivals and just there's so much going on. But it, it was, it was a fantastic, fantastic experience. And it was one of those things that, you know, we knew we could learn to love Memphis for such a great opportunity. Um, and once I was uh, shown the possibility of starting up a distillery something I never thought I wanted to do. But as soon as that opportunity kind of put itself in front of me, I realized how much I wanted the challenge. Um, and that regardless of where it was, we, we could love anywhere we lived. Uh, and so now that you've, you've been there, what, about five or six years? Five years, yeah. What, uh, what, are, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned about being part of starting up a distillery? It takes time. Um, you'd like to think you'd be out of startup mode by year five. Uh, it just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't always happen that way. Um, we definitely are still learning from our mistakes because um, we are. We're still a young team. We're still trying to figure things out. Um, but also just I, I was fortunate enough that I, I feel like I actually got to be in the moment the entire time. So I really felt like I got to take in the whole process. You know, so I was there when equipment got delivered, um, literally seeing the trucks drive down the street and I would never have experienced that at Wild Turkey. And just, I really got to see the distillery get built out. I was able to be a part of interior design conversations and uh, packaging design conversations. And so I really felt like I was able to just really be in the process and, and take it in. And for me, that's, it's made all of the, the headaches, all the stress, everything that comes with a startup distillery makes it all worth it. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about your products. Um, I, I'm curious to know what spirit that you've worked on are you the most proud of and why? 
at the moment for products that are released, um, I would probably say my gin is, is the product I'm most proud of. Um, coming from a whiskey background, I didn't really know what the hell I was doing when I said, let's make a gin. Um, I just liked the sound of it. And uh, so that took, I went to a couple classes, kind of learned about botanicals that way, but then spent close to a year um, just doing lab batches of gin, just trying to hone it in. Um, so definitely was probably one of the longest processes for me as far as product development goes. And in the end, I really, I, I love our gin. I am so proud of it. And our creative director did a beautiful job on packaging. So just the overall product, I'm just, I'm so proud of it. And it took, it took a lot to get it um, to market. And I'm just happy that it's finally out there. Of course, we, we released it in March of 2020. So right in time for the world to shut down. Right. Um, well, uh, and tell people what's, uh, what's in it and what makes it unique. So uh, I'm not a huge juniper fan. And so I wanted to, to make sure that it wasn't too juniper heavy. And so of course there's juniper, but um, there's orris root, angelica root, licorice root, um, some grapefruit peel for a little bit of citrus, um, chamomile flower. Um, I feel like I'm missing a couple ingredients. There's eight or nine botanicals in there. And basically what I was going for, like, something very different from a gin, but it ended up just being this very earthy, very sweet, light floral, light citrus um, gin flavor. Um, and it's just, it's, it, I think it's a very unique flavor, but also very approachable. I, I'm curious with something like that gin, you know, you, you mentioned going to classes and, and we had talked about how you read a ton of books uh, how much do you consider something like that entire process to be an act of, you know, scientific discovery or, or how much of it is an act of creativity? When it came to gin, I have to say it was mostly creativity. Um, at least after going to the classes and just understanding, um, what needed to be ground up, or what grinding something versus leaving it whole could do, kind of getting the baseline of that. But you know, distillation—it—you're really just boiling water. If you're being honest, that's what <laughs> you're, you're doing. You're boiling it off and letting the vapor go. Um, to where for me, for gin, it was really just getting the flavors. Um, it's so easy to to overdo one component versus another, uh, and so it's just. It's, it's the creative, creativity and then, and I'm a terrible cook. So I, I struggle a little bit with the balancing of the flavors. So for me, that, that's a big part is, is learning where that sweet spot is with each component so that neither one becomes overpowering. Do you, do you know how many like test batches you did before you finally landed on the, the winner? I'm pretty sure I was over 40. Okay. In the end. And I, what we ended up doing was releasing two under our um, R&D product line. It's a distillery only product line. And we did that so that we could get some feedback. Um, it was basically two very different gins and we wanted some feedback to see, because I couldn't decide. I liked them both. 
what do people want? Yeah. And what would be the most unique? And that's how we ended up with um, what I refer to as our licorice root recipe is it was by far the most unique um, to where hopefully it would stand out a little bit more in the category. After a final break, Alex chats about whiskey and the legacy of old Dominic. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry. Through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more, it's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. While Old Dominic waits for its in-house produced whiskey to age to perfection, the company does have a few whiskeys currently in the market. We decided early on to go ahead and take our recipes to MGP in Indiana and have them produce um, some barrels for us so that we would have some aged product to help us get started. Um, and that's all under our Hewling Station line. Um, and the first of that was our High Rye Bourbon. And that one is a 52% corn, 44% rye mash bill. Um, so it's a very heavy rye. Um, and at this point it is going on seven years old um, for that first product, that first run. Um, so that product's been out for a little while. We bottled it a hundred proof. I like a slightly higher proof because I like cocktails. And so it can hold up to it a little bit better. And then in 2020, we actually added three more SKUs to the Hewling Station line, um, all still that NGP uh, product. And one of which is our wheat, our straight wheat whiskey, and that is an 83% wheat and 12% corn um, mash bill. And then I decided to actually blend the two and came up with a blend of straight whiskeys. Um, so it's 50% high rye bourbon, 50% wheat. And that one, um, kind of happened by chance. I was just, I had samples from barrels and instead of carrying six glasses down the hallway, I only wanted to have to carry one. So when I was done sampling, I would just pour them all together and I kind of liked what it did. I liked the the sweetness and, and lightness of the wheat and how it actually paired really well with um, the spiciness and the, for, the boldness of the, the bourbon. And so that's where the blend came from. And then we also started our um, single barrel selection process in 2020 as well. So that's our high ride bourbon um, in single barrel form that's available. And then hopefully in 2022, we will be able to start releasing our estate produced whiskeys. And so we have a Tennessee whiskey, of course, um, and that one's a, a more traditional mash bill. It's 75% corn, 13% rye, and 12% malted barley. And then we actually do make the high rye whisk or the high rye bourbon and the wheat whiskey 
um, on site as well. And it's the same mash bills as we did at MGP, just with slightly different proof targets at various po points of the process. So hopefully we'll, we'll end up with similar products, but very different at the same time. So it will be kind of fun to, to compare the two. And, and the aging on, on those by that time, it'll be how many years? So uh, the Tennessee will actually be five because it actually turned four on February 2nd. So we actually just just tasted those first barrels um, and it's it's doing really well. We were hoping to release it this year, 2021, but we actually ended up having to shut down for close to a year because we ran out of warehouse space. Okay. And so we decided to instead of releasing a super super small quantity in 2021 we just decided to go ahead and delay the the launch altogether um, until we kind of bridge that gap well and the, the great thing about that too is that hopefully fingers crossed knock on wood all that good stuff you know maybe that's going to be a, a much more people gathering celebration than than it would be exactly yeah um so those are the whiskey I, I i feel like i i saw some some other projects that you you've had to do that are not whiskey or gin um and, and then just anything else that you have coming up that you're able to talk about or that you're excited about yeah um so we have like i mentioned before the r d product line um i somehow tricked my team into letting me create that product line but it, it's distillery only. We typically bottle the products in um, pints even, but it gives me some creative freedom and just, I get to have some fun. And so we started with the gins. We added a barrel rusted gin after that. And then I really got to, to experiment and did a coffee used vodka under that line. And then more recently, we've started to give barrels to breweries. And one brewery in particular has had a lot of fun with the barrels and have, have done some kooky flavored beers that turned out really, really well. And I started taking the barrels back and putting bourbon in them. And so they made a um, oatmeal raisin cookie beer that I put beer in that barrel. And so we actually have an oatmeal raisin cookie bourbon. I was actually gonna ask you if you said kooky or cookie <laughs> but I guess it could go both ways. So. It could go both ways. <laughs> um, so yeah, we we did that, and um, we actually just got two new barrels from that brewery. Another cookie one. Okay. Um, so we'll have two point of that release, and then they also did a chocolate stout with coffee beans, and so we've mm. we're gonna we're gonna do bourbon with that as well. So we'll see how that that pans out. So that's that product line. Um, so always always something kind of fun coming out of that. And then also in Tennessee, we have a super fun law that allows us to serve cocktails, but you have to produce every drop of alcohol that goes into those cocktails. Um, so if you, you know, need absinthe, if you need Amaro, if you, you know, we have to make all of it. And so that's, that's a constant project for me as well is to develop the bar products. Um, and so I've, I've had to learn you know, I thought gin was a fun project, but I had to learn how to make Amaro and Fernet and Campari 
um, absinthe. I, I had to learn what aquavit even was, and then I had to learn how to fix, <laughs> how to make it. Um, so that's that's always kind of going in the background as well as is furthering our um, our program. Are there are there any possibilities for for any of those to become releases or? I would love to at least for on premise in Memphis because I, I love our our bartenders in town. They're amazing. They they do a lot for us. Um, but right now we would that would take away from our gym production, which is growing. Um, so that'll be down the road figuring out how to do a large large scale version of any of them without taking away from our core products. Talking about legacy, you know, Old Dominic is an ode to a pre-prohibition brand. And then obviously um, the Canali family has had operations going on for, for a long time. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where do you see Old Dominic in 10, 20 years, you know, what do you see as the legacy for, for this iteration of it? And then also, where do you, where do you see your own legacy ahead? You know, what, or do you try not to think about that? Um, so old Dominic, I, I'd like to think we'll, we'll absolutely still be going strong. Um, hopefully we'll have in 10 years really established itself as a whiskey brand. Um, cause right now it's mainly vodkas and gin, um, so really, hopefully, people will see us as a whiskey place um, by then and just really be a part of Memphis. When you think Memphis, you think barbecue, you think music, but hopefully by 10 years, we'll, you'll think of, of bourbon and whiskey as well when you think of Memphis. And for me, I, I really try not to think about <laughs> my legacy. Um, I, I, I'm still young enough, I think. I can I cannot think about... Um, my legacy just yet, but hopefully I just, I, I'm still in this industry and still fighting for it and helping move it forward. Um, whether it's at the, the state guild level or in a bigger, bigger capacity on a national level. Um, and still hopefully steering the ship at old Dominic. Tell me a little bit about, uh, Chris and Alex and just the, you know, the Canali family, um, and, and what it's like to be a part of that. Uh, so I, I've never worked for a family business before. Uh, I've always done large corporations. So it's definitely been um, a learning curve for me to, to work with such a small, small company, but also such an old company. Um, but Chris and Alex have been phenomenal. You can tell that old Dominic wasn't just a pet project for them. Um, you know, Chris from day one saw this as his legacy. This was something he was going to be able to put his stamp on and also be able to hand it off to his brood of, of children. Um, and, and they've been so encouraging and have probably given me more leeway than they should have on a lot of things. Um, and just trusted that I knew what I was doing. Um, at the time at least and uh you know they've they're they're phenomenal and i i really every day like when i try to make sure old dominic is at its best it's it's for them that i'm doing that um they've trusted me with with their family's legacy and 
I, I don't take that lightly at all. That's our program for today. Huge thanks again to Alex Castle for joining us. You can learn more about her and the distillery at olddominic.com. And we'll also have a profile of Old Dominic in the next issue of Craft Spirits Magazine. If you're not already a subscriber, you can sign up for free at craftspiritsmag.com. We'll be back in a few weeks with Lance Winters of St. George Spirits. Until then, thanks for listening, and cheers! Cheers!